Welcome to the podcast. This time I was interviewing Justin Ord of the Ord Food Company. And before the interview began, I asked if there was anything he wished to talk about specifically. He started to mention the Provender restaurant and the interview naturally started from there. First of all, before I do that, is there anything you want to specifically talk about? Because I think it's best to get it done at the start when people are going to more likely going to hear it than at the end when people might have tuned out. No, I mean, I suppose, I mean, provender, obviously, and it's success, yeah. it's, it's recent success and what that, what that actually means. Because mm-hmm. I think maybe not everybody's fully clear on what a bib gourmande is um, and what it is to be, uh, have that level of recognition from the Michelin Guide you know, people. I think that's probably it, probably it. And then what that means is a kind of a quality benchmark across the rest of our companies and our aims. So yeah, I think it's just to put, put the flag in the ground and say that's it's great that Michelin guys rec- recognise that at a restaurant level. Yeah, um, we feel we can push further forwards, but the same ethics and uh, attention to detail that we have at Provender goes into all parts of our business, and we work hard w- work hard to deliver quality at all budgets. When you started Provender, did you have that goal in mind? Not not many people will set up set up a restaurant with the explicit aim of uh, achieving recognition from the Michelin Guide within the first two years in the Scottish borders. At the same time, we felt that we knew that the quality and the experience that we wanted to build should be of that standard. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, nobody sets out to do a bad job. No, and, and, and I think that's that's but what I, I think I'm trying to get to is the you had a purpose in mind for for provender when you launched it. Yeah, it was to be the, the um, a quintessentially a, a, um, an excellent uh, neighbourhood restaurant, which made people who were were not locals feel like locals when they were there. To have that sort of right. uh, have that kind of a feel of a of a place to it that there was a, a kind of a, an informality a friendliness and approachability uh, underlying quality in food mm-hmm. that wasn't dumbed down yes i mean I, i've been you grac- graciously let me host a podcast interview there actually and uh, it had a, a mix of sort of i would say modern but traditional in keeping with the borders style it, it wasn't it wasn't something totally alien to the area that's right. I think if you take the very best of what people love and in terms of the sort of the dishes that you see regularly on restaurant menus across the region and across rural locations as well, people are hardworking people and we're in a, a colder environment. They want mm-hmm. good portions, quality produce. If they're coming from a farming background, they'll probably be able to spot dodgy produce very easily. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think just just generally not, 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 not setting out to either patronise or to be particularly elitist but to have an approach which and it's been noted whether that's a reviewer from the LA Times or whether guests that are coming up from London mm-hmm. or people actually making a specific journey from Edinburgh to come and eat with us that if you took our restaurant and you plonked it down in um, Stockbridge or in you know Islington it would be a great restaurant and it, you brought that to, to, well, to Melrose to the border 
yes. I mean, I think I think I, I wouldn't say brought it. It was already here. We already had the clientele in the borders who would support a restaurant like that. We already had the skill set in our company that could deliver a restaurant like that, and we had the ambition, uh, or have the ambition, to 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 do it and to keep on pushing forwards and to make it the best possible hospitality experience that one can find that the market would allow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah, the, the the conditions are there. I don't think it's like we've pulled a uh, personally. I, we wouldn't have done it if we didn't think it was possible. But then that's perhaps also there's an element of belief that maybe other other people wouldn't have or perhaps or, or mm-hmm. conservatism conservatism that they naturally might put into a it's a significant investment to get something like that set up yeah so I think you did all the research you could to make sure it would be a success but you also had some of your own flavour there as well that others might have turned away from but you felt like it was something yeah, worthwhile I, having absolutely I mean our company um, the Ord Food Company as it's known now but uh, Jill Ord in Catering as as it was in its inception it was actually set up three months after I was born um, so it's going to have its 40th birthday next wow. year and you can imagine 40 years of trading in the region it gave us some insight into what works in, in the region and then operating across different formats of hospitality as well gives mm-hmm. us a really good insight added so, to that you know whatever market research you do on top it's it's as it's best the be, the best guess possible yes i wanted to, to get to that so i wanted to ask you a little bit about the the, the origins of the ord food company from the stories you've heard and your experience thus far where have you come from and 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 where are you now so um, there's been ords in the border region since at least 1066, and they originate from the um, settlements of Ord uh, next to the Tweed, near Berwick-upon-Tweed. My, personal, my family's personal story mm-hmm. starts with my grandfather post-war coming to Jedburgh to set up or to move his textiles company, which was based in Leeds, to the borders because post-war 1950s uh, Jeddah economy was uh, quite depressed and a number of successful businesses um, were established at that time. Mm-hmm. Minetti's opened their factories as is Starrett's and uh, Ord of Jedburgh was formed and that ran very successfully through till the late 80s and then in the early 90s there was a recession which hit Borders textile industry quite badly and sadly. Uh, Ord of Jebra was one of the companies that fell foul oh, right. of, of that. But at the same time, my mum had been informally, well, doing uh, catering. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity arose for, for her to, to grow that business in partnership with my father, who's an accountant. She had a, a business background sure. there. Yeah. Uh, and switching from textiles, there was transferable skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. From my mum's point of view uh, and what brought her to the borders and got the business to where it is now um, was um, she uh, grew up in um, apartheid South Africa and my grandparents um, lived in a a part of Johannesburg called Florida and were very very, uh, involved in the the church community there and helped uh, build a a church in Florida and my grandfather was also in textiles Mm -hmm. he had uh, it was a a raincoat manufacturer in Africa and I think possibly the only one so that might have (laughs) have done him a niche market yeah Yeah, absolutely Um, uh, but, but but 
uh, he, he, he eventually sold the business and then they set up an orphanage. There's a Margaret Ballinger school, it was called. If you read the um, uh, Ravonia trials, you'll see that mm-hmm. there was a safe house in Florida next door to, <laughs> to the orphanage. This, to this orphanage. You could argue an orphanage is also a safe house in a way. It, very, very, <laughs> very much so. So my uncle Jeff was a member of the ANC. My family were involved in um, humanitarian work in a time when South Africa was arguably not particularly humanitarian. Mm-hmm. And um, my mum, I think she must have been about 24 when she decided to come across me. Uh, I won't give the date away, but she came <laughs> to the UK because she had some friends who were five pound poms. Right. And her, her dream was leaving South Africa at a time that was politically not the best place to be. Um, no, but, but quite ambitious at 24 to, to make a big leap like that. So she was asked at immigration uh, with the purpose of her business, business or a holiday and she said, I've come to cook for the Queen. And that was basically, <laughs> that was her target and she was going to cook for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth one day. So she attended the Cordon Bleu School of Cookery in London. She then worked in Edinburgh for many years for a very successful company called Town and Country. Was involved in the first Edinburgh International Festival in terms of delivering the hospitality for that. She's stories of working 24-hour shifts <laughs> uh, and, and just the most amazing experiences. Uh, she met my father and moved to the borders for a quieter life. But as we know, three months after I was born, she was back catering because somebody heard that Jill Ord yeah. was in town. Jill Ord, you mean Jill Johnson? Yes, Jill Johnson. <laughs> She's amazing. And the rest is, yeah, it goes on from there. I think if you've got that attitude, wherever you get put doesn't matter if you if you're in the sunshine or in the rain you're just going to make it happen no matter what and that sounds like that sort of spirit is what your mother has absolutely i think that's um there's a just a, a general determination uh, bloody mindedness uh, <laughs> resilience that has been passed down to myself and my brother that exists in our company that, so that attitude you were raised with that mindset yeah i heard uh, um uh, a comment that all you need to be a success is have a Jewish mother or have a mother that thinks like a Jewish mother whereas just slightly like mum's incredibly supportive uh, and, and, and very encouraging but at the same time I think that there is a standard a personal standard that she expects I always remember when I was little saying to me never be a follower always be a leader and I never quite understood what that meant uh, but I think it was about being in control of your own destiny and making sure that you are making decisions for yourself with the good faith or best intentions at heart rather than being influenced negatively. Yeah, I, I, I can see a lot in that, yeah. So that's the sort of background to the, the, the company itself, uh, which you were three months, it was three months into the company and you came along. So I wanted to go back and ask you, tell me a little bit about your personal background with, with the company and just your personal background in general. I went to Edenside Primary and uh, grew up in Kelso. Uh, I remember being very little and helping dad at the textiles company and uh, like in the dispatches, like sticking, like, <laughs> like um, you know, if things were being mailed, mailed or whatever, getting to put stamps on things and then subsequently helping mum, uh, washing dishes, setting tables, lifting and carrying it and, and going to cash and carry on like just endless trips to <laughs> cash and carry to get like massive amounts of X, Y and Z. Also I recall like going on trips to um, Houndridge Farm where there used to be um, strawberries uh, growing there. Right. Uh, Peter Hottinger far, still farms there but they, they grew soft fruits and there was a, a mushroom farm as well in Ednam <laughs> uh, which I remember going to and like all these like little trips to farms to like get 
So you were vegetables, your mother, and you were looking for the very best that the area had to offer. Absolutely, absolutely, actively wanting to use local produce, and that was just it. Was just seemed that's what you did because if you need a lot of something, go to somebody who's growing a lot of it. yeah, that continues to this day. I mean, we have amazing uh, relationship with Newton Don Estate, where we're based, Boland Estate, um, which is outside of Gather Shields, which has a, a fantastic kitchen garden. And we get a, a, an amazing amount of fresh produce from there. And likewise, as a Kelso lad or a Borders lad, m- most of my mates are farmers and yeah. um, or, or work in um, agribusiness. So that that link continues, uh, and, and um, yeah, proud of it. So you've got a strong network here, really, which is something you developed. Did you ever have the urge to not follow the, the company? And absolutely. Was there a phase? I want yeah, to know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I mean, I went to uh, I went to boarding school in Mosselboro, a place called uh, Loreto, and uh, at first, absolutely hated it because I, I, you know, I, you know, I lived in this lovely place and it was fantastic, and then mm-hmm. you're like thrown into town centre Musselburgh and you're like this place <laughs> this place kind of sucks but the the guys who I was at school with the teachers the general community and everything was actually fantastic and, and, and had some very uh, happy years there and I had this sort of streak in me where there was uh, at the time of being at boarding school um, was it was the same time that Ord of Jedburgh sadly um, ceased trading and, mm-hmm. I, and I think I thought well you know commercialism or um, however you want to phrase it, consumer society has, has got some inherent faults to it. And I thought, well, I don't really want to be involved in that. So I decided to uh, follow um, a passion for art. I was a really keen uh, painter, drawer and right. sculptor, creative side of things, uh, I suppose. From And, and that took me to... Um, Leith School of Art and then Gray's School of Art in Aberdeen where I ended oh, yeah, up doing yeah. a couple of degrees, uh, got a Master of Fine Arts uh, degree having received a bursary from the university to go and continue my studies which I was, it was like here's funding for a master's degree, go for it. And I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I'm going to give that a shot and I had seriously considered following an academic path and working towards doing a PhD following the masters and um, from from there getting tenure uh, and that would have been a very agreeable lifestyle but I worked as a gallery technician in Aberdeen as well so, so you were up. you were heavily invested in this yeah I mean I was you know I was on, on my way yeah um, and then uh, 2008 happened and there was a you know massive crash well, absolutely yeah uh, so, uh, so the uh, it's a perfect storm for a cut in um, uh, funding for publicly funded art mm-hmm. uh, and also in terms of the activity which would be going on in the commercial art world in terms of buying and selling of mm-hmm. uh, uh, art in, in auction houses. Yeah, or, investors would have got yeah, scared. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. uh, conversely, I think actually it, art then turned into quite a useful commodity for moving funds from country <laughs> to country and uh, had a toughed it out and moved to London, Sotheby's could have been a really good place for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Very good. So uh, that's that's an interesting side. But so you came back to the the company itself, and and did you feel like when you came back that you wanted to take on a different role than what you might have done before? Obviously, cleaning dishes was no longer the no the desire. Uh, so uh, around about the same time, you're looking at the birth of social media, and I'd done mm-hmm. a because of my work as a chairman of the Limousine Bull Artists Collective, and work that I'd done in marketing uh, exhibitions uh, and events. I had a a fairly good grasp of what social media could do and that web presence and uh, inbound media presence didn't really exist for my mum's company. Uh, As I scratched the surface of that, I realised that there was an opportunity for us to grow the business quite significantly using that. And also at the age of like 27, I mean, my personal network were all getting married. So, you know, it was kind of two things happened at the same time there. I know know what you mean. (laughs) I I, I also, I mean, added to that, I should say that uh, it was also a, a period of time where the world of developing apps was was very much a commercial wild west and I did set up a joint venture uh, with a development uh, software development firm to set up a company focused on developing health and safety management tools for um, hospitality trade HACCP as it's known food hygiene management and we got some traction and got some funding and got that through a feasibility research project with Strathclyde University. Uh, again, it's one of those things where you, you, it depends what bus you jump on, the one that's most remunerative now or the one that's most remunerative in 18 months' time or whatever. Yes. Any, anyway, the, that business, uh, and I think this, this really underlines how much social media can do or well-managed social media can do mm-hmm. for small businesses. My parents went on holiday to New Zealand to go and visit my brother and um, whilst they're away, we had the biggest uh, increase in sales um, <laughs> in in years, uh, which meant they were coming back to a growth scenario in the business. Uh, a we, lot of we, work we, too, I yeah, imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was mad. I couldn't believe it. There's just like so many more people were finding us. So uh, take it back a step. So you had this idea of social media as something you could really use to add value to the, to the business. Absolutely. What yeah. was, so what was the first sort of thing you did? I, I basically, the, 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 with the story that we wanted to tell was uh, the, the our media stream would be like a Hello magazine for the borders. That was our clientele. It's really right. like, okay. you, you, you kind of, you want to go, oh wow, look at like that person's wedding, the amazing marquee, the, the beautiful food, the smiling people, the party. Tell all of that sort of social story as discreetly as possible and give people an insight into the dream that we were helping cre- people create and had been helping people create for decades previously. But unless you attended one of our events, you would have yeah, no idea. That's that's almost ahead of its time because now you'll, you obviously hear a lot about the idea of a brand of being a lifestyle brand. Absolutely. That almost sounds like you were... We are well, it a does sound like you were on the yeah, you were and you were had that goal from from the from start. The, from the start, from the from the very beginning, that if you wanted to experience the best of the borders, if you wanted to see the borderers at their best as mm-hmm. well, together as families and as friends uh, and as communities, then we could be a portal to that and we would be a nexus or a catalyst for that. And 
that's the old food company. That's where we are, uh, why we are where we are today, because we're, we, we value our locale. Others would see our locale as a disadvantage because it's a small market, but it's a loyal market. And if a company can be here for 40 years, it can be here for 80. It can be for 180, 300 years. Well, perhaps pushing it there. <laughs> but this is about sustainability. Yeah, and it sounds like one of the cornerstones for sustainability is to embrace the, the area and the community within. Although perhaps... You, a lot of your business will come from outsiders coming in looking for a taste of the area. You can't ignore those around as well because they are, in some sense, part of your lifeblood because they are what inspires your business in a way. Absolutely. In this day and age, people are looking for authenticity above all, I think, in a time where the veracity of things is so questionable. You talk about mm-hmm. like fake news and deep fake videos and all the rest of that. <laughs> On your wedding day, you don't want the catering company that have got an address and an industrial, you know, park and it's maybe somewhere in the central belt or maybe it's you know who knows where it is they want to to think that the people that they're going to be using on one of the most if not the most important days of their life is Mm -hmm. somebody who one cares but who is trustworthy and, and I, yes. I hope that we because of our approach convey that uh, the, the, the temptation temptation is always going to be price people are going to be drawn even before thinking people are going to be looking at the price but if you take a step back and think well what am I actually getting for that then it becomes a different question and if you look at say uh, a catering company and you can't locate where they operate and they don't have a, an address that's known to you versus an established place that that knows the area well and has established a reputation, the choice becomes clearer if you just take out that instant sort of urge. I have it. I'm sure a lot of people have it. The instant urge when you see the price and you think, cheapest. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and I, but I think I think the um, the, th- the thing that we're very sensitive towards is that uh, in general, for a lot of events that we're dealing with, people are making emotional purchases, and mm-hmm. we're respectful of that. And um, there's often a, a, a one one thing is people like you don't you don't go to a Range Rover dealership and expect to walk away paying the price for a Ford. So yes, we're we're at the premium end of the market. I I suppose from a local point of view but we're, we're very aspirational it's very accessible it's actually quite accessible yes. given what you get for the trade that you put in place the value that we deliver is is i think is, yeah I think, that, worth, that, uh, that's sort of my point i suppose using that using that idea they're, they're different cars yeah a range rover and a ford are not the same it's yeah, it's so important to bear that in mind sometimes. I think people get lost in just focusing on one thing, which is, don't get me wrong, very important, but it sometimes pays to look a bit more as to what you are getting and choose from that Qual- position. Quality, and that, I'll go back to the, um, uh, sort of an idea of quality. Um, one of the people who made a huge impact on me um, in terms of my thinking mm-hmm. was um, James Sugden, who was the managing director of Johnson's of Elgin. And the first time I met him, he walked straight up to me without introducing himself he said you must be Justin and I always remember keep pushing up the standards and never compromise on quality and then he walked off because it was an event and he was doing his thing and, and that really st- struck me one that he immediately he knew my name he knew who I was he'd done his homework yeah clearly. he wanted to obviously say hello yeah but two that he made a comment to me that um, was very telling and important um, because it's the story of Johnson's and Elgin's success in textiles Mm -hmm. and any company's 
success in any field. And that is price is only an issue where there's a lack of value. And um, if you are constantly making sure that you're delivering the best quality possible uh, uh, at a price point, mm-hmm. then you'll always have something that somebody wants to buy. It might not be for everybody, but there's going to be somebody yes. that's going to go, yep, that's that that's spot on. That is what I need. That's what I want. I'm going to purchase that. Yeah, it's... Um, Pricing is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of issues in other areas where you see price framing and different pricing models in the in the in, in, the, in, the, in the sort of the digital age where you, everything's yes. becoming a subscription now. Oh um, yeah, I, I spotted that. I, I really cling to and like if you go to the supermarket and you can see the price per kg. That's super it's helpful, isn't so it? So useful. Yeah, it just cuts through all the other yeah. all the other noise that you're facing. Yeah, I have noticed a sort of subscription model going on, and I had the temptation the other day to ask my hairdresser for a, a subscription. Yeah. Because I visit them enough. So. Yeah, it would make sense. It would, in a sense, it would make life so much easier. But at the same time, they just need you to miss one appointment. Yeah, and their quids in. And yeah. I think I yeah. think that's the kind of like you're not going to have a wedding every month of the year. But then I suppose we're, in the corporate world, we would have clients who would book boardroom lunches or uh, staff meals and so on. Yeah, yeah you would that, tailor it for the for the customer. So I wanted to sort of take that knowledge you've gained and ask from your experience, what do you think it takes to make a business work in this area grit determination and integrity and of the three if i push you for the most important i think integrity actually is probably the foremost in a small market and doing the kind of transactions which we do which are very personal that element of trust is and knowing that if something isn't right or that there's some recourse that's really important and I think that sort of reputation will go before itself mm-hmm. and you're like well they're they're fair people or they're reason they're, they will always put the the right allocation of x or y in place so that it, something isn't an issue yeah those those I suppose those are the important things to make things sustainable and to make things last a long time you can make a quick buck but that's just all it is you know? and I think in this area that's not going to work there's yeah. not enough people to, to keep that, make that sustainable. You need repeat yeah. custom. You need every. You need. That's the most important thing. Is that you, we want to be doing people's um, engagement parties, their weddings, their christenings, sadly funerals, but then might be works parties, Christmas parties. Mm-hmm. Everything is so interconnected in such as this small community that, yeah, the the question of integrity that that's that is the most premium of, of attributes I think yes to the position where people don't have to think too much they know what they're going to get and they can rely on you to deliver absolutely yeah so if you could add one thing to the area then to help grow your business what would that be more people more people a more populous area a more populous area more houses need to be built we need to increase the tax base so that our services can be properly funded we need a larger workforce a young workforce people who are who are going to contribute to their communities so that's people are the most important thing mm-hmm. uh, we've got to make sure that we've got the right services and the right housing and the right job opportunities to keep the community going uh, and finally, what's, what does the future hold for the Ord Food Company? I would say that the future hopefully holds a third generation of Ords taking the company forward. That, that's, that's our current aim. My brother and I are delighted that we've been able to carry the business into the second generation of this business, mm-hmm. but technically the third generation of, of, of Ord businesses in the region, if you go back to my grandfather. We, yes, would, yeah. we, would, we would love 
to be able to pass something on. So that means for us to continue contributing to our communities, continue providing uh, innovative uh, experiences, mm -hmm. taking our restaurant provender forwards uh, with its um, uh, recognition that it's received from the Michelin Guide and pushing the standards up there, perhaps opening other establishments in other towns with an offer that's appropriate for other towns. Yes, uh, yeah. And, and, and going on from there. Okay, well, I think we'll wrap it up there. But Justin Ord, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, Piers. Okay.